It is common human nature to group together with other people like ourselves. It, but I find it interesting to think about what kind of things actually draw us or don't draw us together into groups. I mean, think about it. Except for in high school, we don't tend to group together based on looks or fashion or popularity. At least not generally. We also don't tend to only group together with other people that have similar physical characteristics as us. I mean, imagine how weird it would be if I only hung out with other red-haired people. Or other people that have the exact same height or weight as myself. Be really weird. We certainly don't only hang out with people of our, the same temperament or personality traits as us. We like that variety. No, no, I would suggest that we far more commonly tend to group together with like-minded people. Like-minded people. We want to gather together with others who are like us in some way on the inside. Right? People with shared beliefs or convictions or ideologies or interests or values. In other words, quite often... We group together based on our worldviews. Now, sometimes we group together based on other things like maybe race or language or ethnicity. But I would actually go further than that. I, I would suspect that that's because people that are similar ethnically tend to have similar worldviews. They're just designed that way. Our human tendency for grouping off, I believe, has only grown stronger in this day and age. We, uh, I believe, are witnessing an unprecedented splintering of culture into so-called tribes of people. I mean, think about it. We have got, we've got ethnic tribes, got the Canadians and the Chinese and the Syrians and the Somalians and the Filipinos and many, 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 many more. We've got religious tribes, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, Christians, atheists, Scientologists, and so on. We got political tribes, liberals, conservatives, NDPs, Greens, etc., not to mention the ones down south. We got vocational tribes, right? people who bunch together based on what they do. So nurses or, or government workers or different branches of the military. We got gender-based tribes, feminists or men's clubs or university fraternities and sororities. And then tribes based on sexual orientation, right? The LGBTQ and the like. We've got life stage tribes from soccer moms to hockey dads to the PTA and seniors groups. We got tribes based on our fandom. Sens fans and Habs fans and Leafs fans, for example. As well as tribes or clubs that you can join for any special interest you've got under the sun. Okay, from gardening to guns. From Star Wars to Star Trek. From Scrabble to Quidditch. So, and then we've got tribes based, centered on just about every imaginable cause out there. 
We are a very cause-oriented society. So we have social activism of all kinds, environmentalism, human rights, animal rights, pro-life, veganism, black lives matters, blue lives matter, all lives matter, and on and on it goes. Everyone is part of some group or multiple groups because of this pull to group together. But many of these various tribes that we get into inevitably conflict at some point or another. And that leads to to fracturing into increasingly smaller and increasingly polarizing clusters. I mean, as we continually rub shoulders and bump into each other in our pluralistic society, it creates this culture clash, right? A clash of, of clans, tribal warfare, so to speak. One of the more dramatic recent examples, at least publicized examples of this, can be seen this summer in Toronto. Remember when the activist group Black Lives Matter blockaded the Pride Parade in Toronto because, they, because the parade had the nerve to let LGBT police march in the parade. It's very interesting to see this, this clash between these different tribes and then the ensuing fallout from that. Overall, I, I, I picture it in this metaphor. It's kind of like the big tree of our culture is going through a wood chopper. So with all its limbs, it's just going through splinter, 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 sawdust. And it is my contention that all of this is happening because of a prevalent modern worldview. Or I should say, a prevalent postmodern worldview, which I will call today postmodern tribalism. Postmodern tribalism. And I, what I want us to do today is to get a reality check about this. To, to evaluate this worldview together. To, to look inward first to see if, if this has perhaps polluted the wellsprings of our hearts. To guard our hearts together. And then to look outward to see how we can respond to this worldview with truth. And before we go any further, I'm going to ask you again, just pause and let's pray together. Would you pray, please? Heavenly Father, I pray for your wisdom this morning. I pray for your truth to go forth. As we look into some concepts that may be deeper than things we're used to, give us grace, God. Help us to understand. Help there to be clarity. And pray that, God, as we go forth, we would know how to respond to this and to how to keep you at the center of our lives. We pray that more than anything, God. Make yourself central. Make yourself supreme. Help us to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, who here understands what postmodernism is? Yeah, I don't either. Let's go home. (laughs) No, not really. Though I often do have a hard time wrapping my mind around it as well. Postmodern is a, is a pretty slippery term because it means different things to different people. I think the best way just to describe it succinctly would be to say that it is a distrust of grand stories, truth, or certainty. Okay, that's the, the view there. It's a distrust of grand stories, truth, or certainty. 
Well, I'm going to give you a, a brief modern sociology lesson, just to, to figure out what our situation is like, all right? Until about 50 years ago, our world was dominated by a way of thinking called modernism. It was everywhere. And at its root, modernism was essentially a search for certainty and truth. Okay? And it utilized all kinds of means. It used reason, rationality, logic, observation, the scientific method. All of this is born out of modernism. Meanwhile, at the same time of this, our culture, especially in the West, was undergoing a rapid shift. It was becoming rapidly more and more multicultural. It was often pictured like a melting pot. You may have heard that term before. Now imagine with me if I was making a pot of broth for soup. Okay, mixing a bunch of different ingredients into this pot together. Water, you got chicken stock, a variety of herbs and spices and oils, salt, peppers, maybe some vegetables in there. And then I let all of that simmer on the stove and soak together, marinate together, until each individual ingredient mingles together to form this broth, this blended broth. The, the separate parts that I put in might as well, they can't even be distinguished from the whole now. It's just soup. Now this is what many people imagined happening to our culture as many different cultures from around the world mingle together become this melting pot. But then, as this melting pot assimilated people from all over the world, all different ethnicities and backgrounds, some began to wonder whether, well, maybe these different cultures, maybe they deserve to be preserved, not combined. And so multiple movements began to spring up to to preserve culture, to reclaim cultural distinctives within multiculturalism. Our chicken broth turned out to be more like water mixing with a bunch of different oils. Sure, they might be in the same pot, but they aren't mixing. Then in this environment, new, new groups of people began to rise up and let their voices be heard. The disadvantaged, disempowered, the excluded, the ostracized from society. People that were left out because of their ethnicity or their gender or their sexual orientation or their class or their disability or what have you. And these all began pushing to be included in this this cultural mosaic that was emerging. And then right about that time along comes postmodernism. Postmodernism, as the name implies, was at its root a reaction against modernism. A swinging of the pendulum. So where modernism sought truth and certainty, postmodernism, postmodernism scoffed at the search. Certainty and truth claims and rationality and science and universality, these are all problematic. A postmodernist would claim there are no grand stories that define our existence. Okay? That we, we can't make sense, a uh, certain sense of our origins or our morality or our purpose. So stop looking. Instead, we should focus on the only concrete things we can know. Ourselves. Plural. And we should find our roots in our particular races or languages or heritages, histories, genders, etc. 
Now, if you take that postmodernism thought and combine it with the brewing multicultural situation, that's when you get postmodern tribalism. Now the ingredients aren't only grouping together inside our pot of soup. They're starting to clash, repel each other, even trying to jump out of the pot. People are magnetically drawn to to certain groups to find a, a tribe of their own where they can belong. And then they will fight fiercely to defend their own tribe. You might hear the word tribe that I'm using and think, well, that sounds kind of primitive or uncivilized. Didn't tribes go extinct in our modern culture? Aren't tribes a thing of the past? You tell me. Steve Wilkins and Mark Sanford asked this. Isn't this, what I've been talking about, isn't this what tribes do? Tribe members share a powerful sense of identity within a smaller group defined by common language, meaning, experience, and ideas. An awareness of competition with outsiders for scarce resources and a feeling that the group is necessary for survival. No, my friends, tribalism is alive and well today. Here in Canada, in Ottawa, and in you and me. All right. Hope I didn't lose anyone with that overview. Right? People would talk about that in a whole course in university. But that's how we got to where we are today. If I did lose you, you can tune back in now. We're going to run through our eight key questions together about this worldview. If you're new with us, these are simply eight questions that I believe every worldview will answer at some point. Number one, what underlies reality? So what is the foundation of postmodern tribalism? Most postmodernists would deny that there is anything ultimately underlying reality. Like I said, no grand stories. Or at least they would be agnostic. They say we can't know if there is. But I don't believe you can live life without laying something as your foundation. Something is going to fill that void. And I think postmodern tribalism, most of the time, essentially makes culture their god. Everything flows from culture and is defined and understood by your culture, where you live, how you live, your surroundings. Number two, what is real? What kinds of convictions about reality does this lead to? Postmodern tribalism would say that we are born into the world, this is a big term, with what is called cultural particularity. For example, I am born a white male American of European descent. That's who I am. And these things shape my personal reality. They even determine it. With this kind, though, of individual diversity, everyone's got their own particularity in their culture. With this diversity, explaining what people's convictions are is kind of like nailing butter to the wall. It's it's impossible. Don Covet says this, Reality has now become a mere bunch of disparate and changing interpretations, a a shifting, loosely held coalition of points of view in continual debate with each other. That's what's real. Number three, Who are we? Talking about our identity. Now, this is probably postmodern tribalism's number one issue, is our identity. 
Who are we? We are not just human beings, but we are culturally determined beings. Our identity is anchored in our ethnicity, in our gender, in our sexual orientation. You can make a whole list here. Being human is seen as too, just too general to define us. We have to be more specific. So like I just said, I'm a white male American of European descent. I'm also a Canadian. I'm educated. I'm heterosexual. I'm married. I'm middle class. And I'm a Christian. Okay? We, postmodern tribalism would say that we cannot separate any particular feature about us from who we are. They're intrinsic to us. And then these features that we have identify us with various communities. Right? They put us in these tribes. Nancy Percy says this, Postmodernism virtually defines a person's identity in terms of the groups to which he or she belongs. Individuals are shaped by the communities they belong to, each with its own shared perspective, values, habits, language, and forms of life. In our day, this has led to the extreme conclusion that everyone's ideas are merely social constructions stitched together by cultural forces. Postmodernism reduces the individual to a patchwork of historical and social forces with no stable personal identity. Individuals must leave behind all stable standards and immerse themselves in the ceaseless flux of life, constantly creating and recreating themselves. To use postmodern terms, the self is fluid and fragmented. Number four, what is true? From where do we get knowledge? I'm going to bunch this together with actually number five, what is good? Referring to morality, good and evil, right and wrong. You might have recognized already that there is quite a bit of relativism in postmodernism. And we looked at moral relativism in depth last Sunday, so I'm not going to go deep into it now. But for postmodern tribalism, both truth and morality are very relativistic. They're very subjective. They can be different and valid for each individual, for each distinct community. In brief, truth and morality are socially constructed. Okay, there are no universals, no absolutes. Nancy Percy again says, truth has been redefined as a social construction so that every community has its own view of truth based on its experience and perspective, which cannot be judged by anyone outside the community. Richard Rorty says, truth is merely intersubjective agreement among people within a particular community. Number six, what's important? So what are the main values of postmodern tribalism? In this case, our our well-being is determined by how well integrated we are into our tribes. So things like respect, acceptance, unity, tolerance, diversity, very valued, highly valued. Number six, or seven, what is wrong or what's wrong with the world? Where, what is fallen and broken? To put down here, I believe, power-hogging or power-hungry communities. Okay, social systems like government, family, or religion are seen as power systems. Oh, everyone's just trying to get power. And therefore, oppression and exclusion and discrimination, victimization, these are the huge issues in our world. 
Much of this worldview is, in fact, a reaction against past abuses of power. We can recognize there are many legitimate victims throughout history. And most of the tribes that I belong to have not suffered much throughout history. Some of the tribes you belong to have. And we can admit that. We've suffered immensely at each other's hands. And this will unquestionably impact how you view the world. So, what can be done? How can we find salvation from these problems? Salvation can be found in finding my own personal tribe, banding together with them, because we can find safety and security, belonging, even empowerment within our own tribe. These days you hear a lot of talk about safe spaces. This is why. Because salvation is found there. Salvation is also found in power, in achieving that which was denied before. Balancing the power in society. In summary, salvation is found within the group, within your tribe. If you want to be saved, you have to get in your tribe cling to it. Now, if you are under the age of 35 to 40 years old, like myself, you are likely impacted by this worldview more than you know, because you've never known anything else. You are actually considered a postmodern So as we went through that list, you probably don't agree with all of it. But there are likely aspects here or there that you've naturally bought into just by growing up in the culture. And what I would challenge you today is, as we go to God's Word in a minute, consider God's truth and evaluate your heart's orientation. All right? Others of us here, especially if you're a bit older, haven't let this worldview inside as much. We've still been impacted by it as we have been immersed. It's permeated our culture around us. And as it has, our faith has become, become to be seen as hostile. After all, it makes many truth claims. So thus, we Christians have begun to be disempowered, to be marginalized. You may have felt some of that hostility that has risen against Christianity, maybe in a, in a child or a grandchild rejecting faith, or in being fiercely ridiculed, maybe online. Some postmoderns would rejoice about this turnabout of power and privilege in society, saying, welcome to what we've experienced the last few hundred years. Let me speak for a second, just a side note, to my white or other privileged brothers and sisters. We must, must develop more empathy and compassion for our minority friends. We should seek to understand their perspectives and never 
minimize their pain. End side note. And go way deeper into that if I wanted to. Some of us, as we've been impacted by this cult, this this worldview, we have reacted to this marginalization we're facing, this hostility, by withdrawing from the culture at large. And by ironically seeking to create our own subcultures, our own tribal subcultures. Our fellowship as Christians at times is driven by a fear of not having people like us around us. Shouldn't be. Sometimes we go so, uh, so far as to create our own cultural enclaves within the church itself, whether by race or ethnicity or age or state. But this segregation within the church, that is never a healthy sign. Now, not everything about postmodern tribalism is bad. Okay, like I said before, this can actually help us develop empathy. Develop compassion for the marginalized. It provides also a good caution about us striving for power or clinging to power. Listen, it is not a bad thing for Christians to be disempowered in the world's eyes. It's the way we started. Postmodern tribalism can help also open our eyes to our historical shortcomings. See, sin is not only a personal, individual thing. Sin can be systemic. And so, at times, well-meaning Christians have participated in horrible oppression. And we should never be afraid to call out sin. Especially within our own ranks. Finally, postmodern tribalism can help us realize culture itself isn't inherently bad. God created culture. He created us with diversity, designed us with diversity. And we don't need to make all cultures fit into like certain lines, certain stereotypes. We don't need to make them conform to be like each other. Rather, we should see the, the, the variations that, that God created with, uh, with us and respect them, appreciate them. See, postmodern tribalism taps into a very natural, God-given impulse inside of us. The need and the desire to belong in community and within culture. But then postmodern tribalism takes this impulse too far. Over-focusing on this one particular aspect of our nature... Here's my first point in response to this, that we are indeed cultural beings, but we are not only cultural beings. We are indeed cultural beings, but we are not only cultural beings. If you would, please open your Bibles to the very beginning pages with me, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, when we look at how God created us, we see that we were created with distinctions, like male and female. But we also had crucial common ground. 
And that foundational common ground that we share was not found in our culture. Look with me in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. What phrase is repeated four times in those two verses, verse 26 and 27? In the image or the likeness of God. This is the most foundational and intrinsic aspect of our human nature. Not where we're from or how we speak or how we love or what we do. It's who we're like. And it's not just about who we're like around us. On a deeper level, we have been made to be like our creator, to reflect his image. Recently, I took my family on a fall hike on these trails around Ottawa, and we went to feed the birds out of our hands. Really neat experiences. The chickadees would fly in and eat out of your hands. While we're on this hike, we stopped at a point, pulled out a camera, and took a video of what was going on. And then we took the video. We liked the video so much, we posted it online for other people to enjoy. And on this video, there are images of myself and my children, those who are with us. Now, here's the question of this. Are those images in the video us? Are they actually us? Well, no. Just a video. Very strange if someone was watching this on on their phone or their computer and they're trying to talk to me in the video. Right? These are just images of us and they're intended to reflect us. To, to show you just a little bit of what we're like. It's the same with God. In placing his image on us, we are intended to show the world a little bit of what God is like. To reflect him. Every single human being on earth shares this common ground is human nature. And if we can't see beyond our culture to see this, we miss a vital aspect of who we are. Postmodern tribalism reduces our identity to less than this. In this way, it is actually dehumanizing. It makes us merely products of social forces driven by the whims of our tribes. No original thoughts, no creativity, no transcendence, no dominion over creation. We're just puppets in a power play system in which we are powerless. We can never rise above the communities to which we belong. And this then pressures people to define themselves based on this, to define themselves based on on one or two select elements of their culture say their race, or their gender identity, or their sexual orientation. 
But this doesn't do justice to human nature. We're way more than those things. And deep down inside, we know it. As Nancy Piercy points out, this runs contrary to human experience of just being social beings. Each of us experiences the inescapable, irresistible sense of being a coherent self, an active center of consciousness, not merely a passive locus of colliding social forces. The universality of this first-person awareness, even among those whose worldview denies it, is a clue that it is intrinsic to human experience. When you boil it right down, postmodern tribalism undermines itself. Because if our perceptions, if our beliefs, of the way we see the world are all culturally determined, it really doesn't leave any room for, or any basis for, cross, for cross-culturalism. There, there's no reason for us to have cross-cultural sympathy or empathy or communication or respect or justice or unity. They've removed the foundation. I mean, sure, people may pursue those things, but why? Why? If your own tribe is everything. Steve Wilkins and Mark Sanford say, if our nature is nothing but the product of tribal variables that are incomprehensible outside that context, we can only gaze at others from across the cultural abyss and scratch our heads in bewilderment. And this leads right into the second major problem with postmodern tribalism. It has effectively attempted to replace God and objective truth with the authority of cultural groups. But the group or the tribe will always fall short on this front. Here's the point. Giving authority to a group is a powerless replacement for God. Powerless replacement for God. When we give determinative authority to a group, it is powerless to replace God. I feel like Isaiah 2.8 could well have been written about our culture. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. And our culturally formed tribes are very much like man-made idols. They act like idols. We look to them for our purpose. We look to them for our identity. We look to them for our truths. We look to them for our values. And ultimately, look to them for our salvation. What else could you want in a God? Might get a little deep here for a couple minutes. Bear with me. It's just to show the, the bankruptcy of this system. Like I allowed, this is, if this is a God, if this is an idol for our culture, this God can't even deliver on its promise of a harmonious society. Can't do it. I mean, why should I respect or tolerate others if I've got all I need within my own tribe? And if my tribe determines my truth, then how could I ever actually critique my own tribe? I mean, the logic would say that your culture must always be right on some level. But what if your tribe is wrong about something? How would you know? If truth is subjective, 
They have no way uh, or no outside standards to judge things by within your own tribe. Neither can postmodern tribalism deliver on actually righting the wrongs of victimization. You may have noticed that in our culture, being a victim gives you a certain power. You may even see various tribes competing to be seen as the most oppressed. But if power is found in victimhood, there's no reason to actually overcome oppression. You've already got the power. Talk about mixed signals. Cling to your victimhood, but pursue power. Finally, the so-called truth of postmodern tribalism is a sterilized, self-defeating truth. If all of our perspectives are merely social constructions, that includes postmodernism. Postmodern tribalism is ultimately powerless to tell us why we should even pay attention to it. As a replacement for God goes, it is as useless as a block of wood or stone. So at the end of the day, what does this worldview do to try to solve its problems? And ironically, it makes a power play of its own. Recall that it's focused on correcting the imbalances in society of power. But how can postmodern tribalism achieve this balancing out of power? Steve Wilkins, Mark Sanford answer, without some common truth or virtue as justification for correcting long-standing wrongs, the only means that postmodernism tribalism has for rectifying unfair power arrangements would be power itself. If salvation can be realized within your own tribe, then a fuller salvation can be realized as your tribe gains power. But by trying to balance power by attaining power, gaining power actually becomes the sole goal, which then logically, you take it to the conclusion, it makes any use of force acceptable, even a duty. Wilkins Sanford continue, the irony then is that this becomes a recipe for heightening tribal animosity, inequality, and strife rather than eliminating it. So just to, to summarize those two deep points for you, you zoned out. Postmodernism first, tribalism undersells our identity. And it far oversells a group's authority. Therefore, it falls short as a worldview. And it falls miserably short as a god. So what is our way forward in these postmodern days? I'll tell you this. It isn't by disengaging from culture and refusing to respond. It isn't by digging our heels into our own truth and then banging it over people's heads. And it isn't by disappearing into our own tribes where we're comfortable. No, I believe there is a clear way forward, a clear way for us to respond 
to postmodern tribalism. And it is to show that, to display that the gospel of Jesus offers a more balanced and hopeful way. The gospel of Jesus Christ offers a more balanced and hopeful way, particularly when you look at these values of unity and diversity. The gospel of Jesus offers a more balanced and hopeful way. We should show this to people. Think for a minute about what it means to be created in the image of God. In Genesis 1, we read, God says, let us make man in our image. I believe that refers, alludes to the Trinity. One God existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And what the Trinity tells us is that God is both independent, he's individual, he's one, and he is interdependent, he's communal, relational, he's three. And we have been made in his image, both individual and communal. Our self is not dissolved into a community. Neither are we disconnected from others and autonomous from them. On the one hand, we have personal identity, we have dignity, we have personal value, personhood. And on the other hand, we are also created for diversity and relationships and community. We are rooted by God into these things, in families and races and nations and eras of history. God placed us there. But much of the harmony that God intended for us was shattered by sin. Our relationship with God was broken. Our relationships with others was clouded at best. And no matter how many tribes or communities we form, none of them could save us. None of them could mend that which was broken. None could right that what was fallen. So then Jesus entered the picture. And part of Jesus' mission was to right these wrongs. To make, as Scripture says, to make peace by the blood of his cross. Peace with God and peace with others. Turn over to Galatians 3 with me. Galatians 3, if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, that's on page 974. Galatians 3, and I'll be reading from verse 26. Listen to what Paul says in these verses. Verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, just be clear, Paul is not saying that we lose our cultural distinctives when we come to faith. 
What he's saying is that there is a distinctive that overshadows all other distinctives. That we become one in Christ Jesus. There's one distinctive to rule them all. (laughs) Jesus transcends our cultures in order to bind us all together. Which then means we can transcend our own sinful, broken tribes in order to join Christ. We can share common ground with anyone in the whole world, thanks to Jesus. Colossians 3 says similarly, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. As we sang, over all the world his people sing. Shore to shore we hear them call the truth that Christ through every age our God is all in all. There are truths that echo throughout history that are greater than us all, that apply to every group of people in history, chief of which we are all sinners and we all need a Savior. And Jesus saves. And if you put your faith and your trust in Him today, turning from your sins, He promises He will save you. And He will place you inside the one community that will never end. His people. May his tribe increase. Best response to postmodern tribalism, absolute best response, is to show the world this better way. This better tribe that's Surround that is centered on the God that can deliver them. We've got to love it. We've got to share it. We've got to show it with how we live. Notice, though, while Jesus unites people from all cultures, he never obliterates their culture. No, in Scripture, our diversity is, isn't only something to be transcended, it's something to be celebrated. I can point you to many places in Scripture to prove this. But when we come to Christ, we don't all instantly live the same lifestyles, speak the same languages, eat the same foods, wear the same clothes, or sing the same songs. No, there are clearly culturally distinct ways to live our lives as believers. But as we close... Let me take you to the very end of the story to show you how much Jesus values diversity. Turn to Revelation 7 with me. Revelation 7. Again, if you're using a pew Bible, that is page 1032. This is the Apostle John getting a vision of the future from God around God's heavenly throne. And listen to what he sees here at the climax of history. Verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes 
and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Can you see this? Can you picture this? Imagine? This is literally heaven. And it is beautifully diverse. The worship takes place here within the context of diversity. Different nations, different tribes, different peoples, different languages. Every one of them represented around God's throne. Their diversity is retained. And yet, this vast diversity is unified and channeled in worship toward the same God. The one true God. Unity and diversity held together in perfect balance. You know why this is possible? It's possible because our sin was erased so that we can be, as it says, clothed in white robes, saying, salvation, salvation belongs to not, our, not us, not our tribe, not our people, but to our God and King. Salvation. Jesus is our only hope of ever achieving this unity, this balance, this peace, this glory. And whenever we, as his people, can reflect this heavenly scene here on earth today, we will begin to display to the world Jesus' better way. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, help us to do this. Help us to, as one people, unite around you. We thank you for the way that you created us with beautiful diversity. Help us appreciate them. Help them never to drive us apart. But God, help us unite around you. Help us worship you, to look forward to that day when all tribes and nations surround your throne and shout your praises. May we find our truth here, our identity here, our salvation here, and help the world to see it in us. In Jesus' name, amen.